Deanie, come up here and pray for us, and, and we're going to get into God's Word. Will you please pray with me? Father, as we come this morning, God, we are thankful that we have this opportunity to worship you. We are thankful, God, that uh, uh, you call us your children and that you are our Father, but also you call us your friends. And God, uh, as we are all sitting here this morning, Lord, there's things that are cluttering our minds and our hearts, things that we're thinking about and worrying about or whatever, God, but will you clear our hearts and minds out, prepare us to hear uh, the message of the word today that uh, Phil is going to bring to us, because each one of us has something to learn, something that we need from you. And also, God, we realize that uh, the reason that we can come before you is what your son Jesus has done for us. He has rescued us and uh, purchased us from our sinful ways. So thank you that we can remember that and that we can someday look uh, forward to eternity with you because of how much you loved us and what your son has done for us. So we love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Those of you that have worshipped in Libby Christian Church very long at all know that I really, really, really love a good story. They inspire me. I like to hear them, I like to read them, and I like to tell them. Every time I come across a new one that grabs my attention and grabs my heart, I I just really can't wait to pass it on. I heard one of those uh, a few weeks ago. My good friend Ray Brossman and I were traveling together, and he and I throughout the years have shared quite a bit of windshield time for different reasons, and and we were on that particular day, and the, the details of why we were together don't matter. What matters is the story that he told me as we were driving. Ray jumped right into the middle of it. He said, so last summer we had all the grandkids here right after we had bought our new camper. We wanted to take them all camping. We thought it'd be a fantastic experience if we went up to Howard Lake. So he said he'd been telling the kids that they'd go up and hike and they'd swim and they would play around with all kinds of different things in that area and the kids were all real excited. and They had been playing around in the camper already, so this was just kind of a culmination of everything that they had hoped for. Ray told him that his favorite part of the, the whole experience was going to be the campfires that they had at night. They'd build these big fires, and all of them would sit around and tell stories and laugh. It was just going to be fantastic. So the entire family was very excited to go, all the grandkids just beside themselves as they were thinking about it. Well, Ray was getting everything ready to go and had a big pile of equipment out in the garage. And so he was loading the camper and loading his pickup and going through the checklist in his mind, making sure that he had everything that he needed. And, and he came to that idea again of the fires, and he thought, i got to grab an axe. i got to make sure that we can split enough wood to have some kindling and, and make it all work the way it's supposed to. So he started digging through his shed to find his axe. Couldn't find it. He overturned a a bunch of different stuff, thinking maybe it was under one of those piles. No axe. He looked in every corner. No axe. He got real frustrated. Couldn't find his axe. And then he remembered that he had loaned it to Matthew, his son, a few years ago. And apparently Matthew had taken it to Miles City and forgot to return it. Dads, how many of you have loaned tools to kids and they've not come back? You know what Ray was dealing with. He He was pretty frustrated. But he knew he needed to find one as quick as he could so they could get on the road. He called Deanie, knowing that Deanie would have an extra axe, an old logger like Deanie, that'd be no problem at all. And Deanie said, you bet, I've got an axe you can come up and borrow. Ray said, I'm going to run that direction and be there in just a few minutes. He did. 
drove up to MK and where Deanie and Beth live, and Deanie met him out in the driveway, said, come on into the garage, I, I found one that's really kind of special, and I want you to take it with you so that you can tell the kids the story of it. This is that axe. He said, Ray, I was given this axe by Bill Chrismore when both of us worked for the Chrismores. Bill wanted me to have it because it's really unique, and, and I know that you're going to want to share with your kids some of the things that make it special. And he turned it around and showed him this stamp that's on the back of it. It says, U.S. After you cut a log, you can swing that thing into the log, into the blunt end of the log, and stamp it with U.S., United States. It's a Forest Service axe. And Bill had told Deanie the whole story behind it, and Deanie fell in love with it when Bill gave it to him, and he knew Ray was going to like it too. It had connection for both of them. So Ray was excited to take it with him and threw it into the back of the truck. On his way out of the driveway, Deanie made this statement to him. He said, Ray, just be careful with that axe. It's, it's pretty special. Just be careful with it. Ray didn't think much about that. He said, that's fine. I don't, I don't have any problem with that and no reason to think that anything will happen to it. Well, he took it up to Howard Lake with him. Kids ran out and started hiking around. They were playing in the parking lot. If you've been to that camping area, they were playing in the water. Everything was going good. Ray decided he was going to build a fire down by the water for that night. So he took the axe down and some wood that he'd brought with him, and he started splitting it for kindling. Everything was going just like it should have. He was getting a nice pile built up there, and then he took a swing on a big old solid piece of wood. And the moment he brought that axe towards the wood, the head flew off and it went out into the lake. Big splash. Ray was beside himself. I mean, absolutely devastated because Deanie had said to him, now be careful with that axe. It's really special. So Ray's standing on the side of the, the lake and boy, he has my attention now. He said, I didn't know what to do, Phil. So I, I thought about running back to town, getting a boat. I thought about metal detectors. I thought about putting the kids out there swimming and offering them a reward if they could find the axe head, whatever I have to do. And, and he said, the problem was I, I couldn't see it. I didn't know exactly where it went in. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I called Barb over, and, and I got all the grandkids over, and we lined up right along the shore. And he said, I, I told the grandkids in moments like this, when you don't know what else to do, you need to pray. And so they prayed. Ray said, I, I was at a loss for what to pray. I mean, how do you pray in a situation like that? So he said, I offered this real simple prayer. And Ray actually told me what his prayer was. He said, Lord, I'm in trouble. I've lost this axe head. It's very special to Dini. I can't see it, so I can't find it. I need your help. And all the kids standing there with him, they're holding hands right on the shore. They just said amen together. And then the most remarkable thing happened. The axe head floated to the top of the lake, and it came over to the shore. Ray bent down and picked it up and put it back on the handle, and you can see how he taped it back together, and he thought, whew, all right, God is good. He looked at the kids and said, now see, that's exactly how God does things. When we talk to him, that's what God does. And the kids were absolutely amazed by it, just like we are. Isn't that an amazing story? Problem is, it's not true. I mean, that's the, that's the real struggle of the whole thing. Well, at least portions of it aren't true. The story is actually recorded in the Bible. It didn't happen in Ray's life. It happened in the prophet Elisha's life. Yet the, the details of it, as they come to life for you, still lead you to the same conclusion. God cares about the details of our lives. Let me show it to you. It's in the book of 2 Kings. Go to the Old Testament with me. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. 
I'll give you just a second to turn there. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. This is how the story reads in the Bible. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. The man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Great story. It's as inspiring as the story with Ray plugged into the middle of it and all the details that we gave for that. This is a tremendous one. Look at what's happening here. Elisha is God's man of the hour, God's man of the season. He is his prophet. When people wanted to hear from God, they listened to Elisha. When God wanted to do something, he did it through Elisha. Elisha was a worker of miracles, no question about it. Fantastic worker of miracles. He had these others, for the lack of a better term, lesser prophets that were with him. They were learning from him. They were following his example. They were speaking on behalf of God as well, but nothing like Elisha. And you heard what happened. They had wonderful motives. There were so many of them that they were crowded when they were all together. So they said, let's just go down by the Jordan and we can build a place where we can spread out. Elisha said, all right, let's go do that. So they headed down to build it. Right motive. They had the right actions. They were going to get involved in the building. That's exactly what they did. Everything was lining up as it should have. They were God's men doing the right things in the right way. And then everything fell apart. This borrowed axe head flies out into the water. And this lesser prophet, all he has to do is just throw a glance over towards Elisha, God's man, and he knew God would respond in some capacity. Elisha, not hesitating because he was fueled by God's power, throws the stick out, axe head comes back, and it's put back on the handle and they keep on building. Cool story. Showing us yet again that God cares. God cares about the details of our lives. In Elisha's story, we see that over and over and over again. He takes care of very small things for people. There was a widow lady who didn't know how to pay her bills. Elisha took care of it. There were a group of people that had a poisoned well. Their water wasn't clean to drink. Elisha, to give God the glory, took care of it. He was actually in a situation where they had cooked up a big pot of stew, and it was terrible. People said, it is so bad, there is death in the pot. Elisha threw something into the pot and he cleaned it up. Some of you have been in hunting camp with other people cooking know what that's like. There's been some times where you have said, oh my heavens, there's death in that pot. And you just want somebody to clean it up. Elisha cleaned it up. Taking care of detail after detail after detail in people's lives in the name of God to give God glory. God cares about the details of our lives. As you study the Bible... It may very well be that Elisha demonstrates that second only to Mary, the mother of Jesus. She understood the same thing. Let's go to the New Testament. I'll show you a story that that demonstrates exactly what we're talking about. John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of his miraculous signs. Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now again, fantastic story. Follow what's happening. They're at this wedding feast. Those are huge celebrations in Israel. In the the days of Jesus, they would last weeks at, at a time, day after day after day, huge celebrations. And they've run out of wine. Jesus' family's been invited there. His mother's there. Jesus' name was on the invitation list. He was there. Mary's heart went out to the people that were throwing the wedding banquet, and she wanted Jesus to respond because she knew what he was capable of, and she knew that Jesus cared about the details of people's lives. So she says, you just go talk to my son. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus would actually say to her, woman, why do you involve me in this? My time's not yet come. Folks, you know how that works. Oh, mom, why did you do this? And he's trying not have to do it, yet Mary never wavers from what she was saying. She looks back at him and says, just do what he says, and she walks away. And folks, what do you do when your mother says do something? You do it. And Jesus did it. He was honoring his mother. That's what was going on. He did it, and he changed the water into wine. You're familiar with that story, but did you see down at the bottom as we were reading that, or at the end of it? This was the first miracle that he performed. What a great way to start showing that he cares about the details of people's lives. And he did it that God would get the glory and his disciples put their faith in him. And when God takes care of the details of our lives, that's the kind of stuff that happens. We pay attention. Lord, you care enough about me to care about this. Thank you, God. Yet for some reason, I don't know why it is, in modern Christianity, we wrestle with believing that God cares about us this way that Jesus actually does care about the details of our lives and he wants to be involved in them. I don't know why that is so hard for us, but it is. All through the New Testament, we find teaching after teaching after teaching that tells us we're supposed to bring these things to God. Paul would say, pray without ceasing. And in that, he is talking about us bringing all of the small things as well as the big things in our life before the Lord and trusting him. There's passages like this. Turn over to the book of Matthew with me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. These are Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If you have needs in your life, Jesus would say, ask us about them. Me and my Father, you ask us about them through the power of the Holy Spirit. You ask us about them. If you're needing wisdom, you seek it from us and we're going to be there to give it to you. Knock and the door will be open to you, the Bible says. It has been well described that prayer is the knock that opens heaven's door. Prayer is the knock that opens heaven's door. 
Yet so many people choose not to pick up this gift, not to develop the discipline, not to learn how to do it. Even though the Bible says repeatedly, learn this practice and use it and see what happens. Cool stuff takes place as a result of it. The details of your life begin to fall into place. When we understand that prayer is the knock that opens heaven's door, what we really discover is that through praying, we get the privilege of walking into heaven and spending time with God, sharing with Him the most intimate details of our lives, talking with Him as we would talk to a friend. The door's been opened to us. We get to walk through it. Pretty amazing stuff. There's an old poster that says, A prayer to be said when life has you down and you feel just rotten, when you feel like you are too doggone tired to pray and you're too busy, the prayer is help. It's a pretty good prayer. Help. When we're knocking on the door of heaven in some of these small details of our lives, that's what we're saying over and over and over again with every knock. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Let me tell you about what's happening in my life. Help me, God. There is great teaching in the New Testament to undergird this idea, and most of it is tied to the idea of prayer. Let's go together to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11. This is Jesus' teaching again on prayer. Pay close attention to that word again. He teaches on it a lot. Luke 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now let's stop there for just a second. It is incredibly intriguing to me that of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they chose this one. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to heal the sick. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to raise the dead. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to feed the hungry. Didn't ask him to teach them how to perform miracles. At no point did they say, Lord, teach us how to walk through angry mobs. They'd see Jesus do that in just a a little while. At no point did they say, Jesus, talk us through how to get through locked doors and walls. Show us how to do that. They'll see that from him in a little while. They didn't ask for miraculous things when they chose to cash in their chip of learning. What they asked for was this, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them how to pray simply. Listen to it. We know it is the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew gives us just a little longer picture of that prayer. Luke boils it down. It's a simple prayer that touches every aspect of our life. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he didn't say, do it with piety. He didn't teach them to pray with a lot of words. He didn't teach them to pray trying to outpray other people. He taught them to pray simple, personal prayers. Things like help. Lord, I need you. I can't see the axe head. There's no way I can find it. I need you to help. Simple prayers. That's what prayer really is. That's how Jesus taught it. We distorted it. Mankind got involved in it, and we made it this big, flowery type of thing. This is it. It's simple. But then follow the teaching that Jesus put right on the tail end of this. This is so good. Verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you had a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, 
friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not give up, or he will not get up and give him bread, because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs." So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, this is some fantastic teaching. You have to put yourself in the story to understand it. You're the person who has visitors show up at your house. God is your neighbor. So you go over to God's house and you start knocking on the door, asking if you can get some bread. You've had unexpected company show up. They're hungry and you have nothing to feed them. Small detail. Very small detail. So you're knocking on the door of heaven saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to take care of these people. And you start knocking, you keep on knocking, and, and God says to you, you know what, supper's already done, you don't worry about that. But you keep knocking, then finally God opens the door, and you're able to say, Lord, they've shown up, I have nothing to feed them. If you could give me some bread, maybe a little bologna, some cheese, they can at least have a meal before we go to bed tonight. We need some things to take care of this. And God responds. And God responds. He takes care of it. Now at the first reading of this, it may seem like it was only the persistence that mattered and not the relationship. But folks, that's a distortion of the passage. The relationship matters. The relationship matters. And when we learn how to pray in such a way that we can take the small details of our life before the Lord, we're going to actually see Him meeting those needs. Because God knows what you need. Do you follow that at the end of this? If you tell God that you need eggs because you're hungry, is he going to give you a scorpion to eat? Not a chance. He's going to give you what you need. So there's great lessons for us to learn from this. The first one is pretty plain. If it is true that prayer is the knock that opens heaven's door, and it is, then once you start knocking, you keep on knocking and don't give up. You keep knocking. You be persistent in that because great things are going to happen. You're going to see your needs met. You knock once and then you knock twice and then you knock the third time and you keep on knocking. You don't stop because there's at least two things that are happening. Number one, God is at work in your life. He's doing something. When it appears that He's not responding, when it seems to you that God doesn't care, you trust this. God is doing something in your life. It may very well be that He is trying to get you to a place where you can surrender the details of your life to Him, where you can turn those over. In the day and age that we live in, worry and anxiety is a predominant emotion. Those are things that people wrestle with on a regular basis. We worry about things so much, we try to take control of it ourselves, and oftentimes we botch it up. When God is saying, just let me have those things. Sometimes when there is persistent knocking happening in your life and you feel like all you're doing is standing on the front porch pounding on the door of heaven and there is no response, maybe it even seems to you like God's not home. 
there's a lot of people that get to a place where that's exactly what they think. God's not here. He's not listening to me. He doesn't care about me. Well, you keep knocking because it may be that God's trying to get you to a place where you understand what surrender really is, where you're able to trust him. There's a passage tucked away in the book of 1 Peter that most of us need to be very familiar with. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Peter writes, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Sometimes, sometimes, hard as it is to accept, when you're standing on the porch repeatedly knocking, God's just waiting for you to get to a place where you can cast your anxiety on him, where you can let him have the things that you're concerned about, the things that you're worried about, so that he can actually meet your needs. Oh, this is hard to do. It is hard to do. I don't know how many people have told me, I am familiar with this passage, but in practice, it is almost impossible for me to cast my anxieties on God. Well, let me share with you a tool that I learned a long time ago. It's my favorite tool for this. Great Bible teacher had said that in those moments where he struggles to cast his anxiety on God, he had to find a tangible way of praying that would help him. So this is what he does. He cups his hands together, just like this, and he places them over his mouth, and he speaks his prayers into his cupped hands. Try it. Just cup your hands, put them over your mouth. And now imagine that you are speaking your prayers into those cupped hands. Whatever it is that maybe you're anxious about, whatever it is that you're concerned about, you are speaking those prayers into your hands. And then he says he does this. Once he has placed all those prayers in his hands, he sticks them out just like this. And he cast his anxiety on God. Try it. Put it up to your mouth. Maybe silently speak your prayers into your hands. And then you extend them to God. You cast them before the Lord and see what happens. Sometimes your persistent knocking, having to stand out there on the porch and over and over and over again, pound on the door, is God saying to you, you have got to learn surrender and faith and trust. So I'm going to let you knock until you really get to that place. Because, my friends, this is what happens in persistent knocking. Persistent knocking leads to persistent surrender. Persistent knocking leads to persistent surrender. Let that soak in. Let that take root in your heart so that you can understand what it really means to get to a place where you understand the knocking, but you also understand the surrender that follows. God, you can have it. Sometimes when we stand knocking like that, that's what God's doing. He's bringing about this great work in your life, this work of surrender. But there's something else that's happening as well in your persistent knocking. And this is going to be a little harder for you to understand and accept, so follow me through this. Here's what's happening when you are persistently knocking on the door of heaven. You are building fire in heaven. You are building fire in heaven. I know some of you are thinking, that that just sounds crazy. What are you talking about, preacher? Let me show you. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Now, you're going to have to pay close attention as we go through this for this to make sense. Revelation 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Your prayers joined together with other prayers in heaven. Your prayers joined together with the smoke of the incense around the altar of God in the throne room of God. And when the time is right, when the fire is burning as hot as it needs to burn, when everything is in place, in this particular aspect of it, it deals with end times teaching. But when everything is in place, God takes the fire and he places it in that censer. And did you hear what scripture says? He hurls it to the earth. And there are thunder and lightning and peals of thunder that happen and God's power comes. How cool is that? You're building fire in heaven. When you are persistently praying and you are persistently knocking, you are building fire in heaven, fueling fire in heaven that brings about God's response. And whatever you hear, hear this today. You want God's full response, not a partial response. You want God's full response. So knock and keep on knocking. And don't stop knocking. No matter what the details are that you're putting before God, that sunken axe head or the empty jars, doesn't matter. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you spoke into your hands, prayers like this, Lord, I lost something and I need to find it. Lord, I'm empty and I need it to be filled up. Lord, I need my husband to pay attention. I need my wife to come home. I need whatever it is. And you've cast that on God. You have placed that before the Lord. You keep praying it. And you keep surrendering it. And you wait. You wait until the answer is complete and the fire is burning as hot as it can and it gets hurled to the earth. And you see God's response. It's amazing things that take place when we are willing to communicate with the Lord this way. One of the beautiful parts is our relationship with God grows exponentially because we're not talking to God just about these spiritual ideas we're not talking to God about theory we're talking to God about the practice of our lives and it is there where we will discover this and you need to know this about prayer prayer does not work God does there's a big difference There is no set book of rote prayers that you need to offer over specific situations that's going to bring about a programmed response from God. There is no set book of prayers that you need to offer as you deal with different circumstances that's going to bring about everything that you want. There's no relationship with God that's going to bring about everything that you want. God's going to listen to your needs and he's going to respond as a father responds to his children. And sometimes that's different than you want him to. But God's going to respond with your best interest in mind because prayer doesn't work. God works. I'll show you why I believe that. I'm going to go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. The man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. 
Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this type or this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, last fall, we looked at this passage for a couple of weeks, and we looked at it from different dimensions, picking it apart in each of those cases. Today, I want us to look at it from the dimension of the disciples. We didn't do that this past fall. The disciples were the first ones to intervene in this man's life. This this fellow brought his son to them and said, can you do something to help? And they tried, believing that by their own power, by their own strength, by their own steam, they could pull something off, and nothing happened. By implication, it would appear that the people that had the closest relationship with Jesus failed to go to him. They didn't take the boy to him. So Jesus said, bring him to me. And then he responded, and he drove the demons out. The disciples' failure was based on their inability to go to Christ, their inability to take the situation to God. They had relationship with him. Think of everything they had witnessed. They knew what he was capable of, and they didn't go to him. What would have happened in the story in 2 Kings if Elisha hadn't intervened? What would happen here if Jesus wasn't involved? What happens in your life when you refuse to take things to God or you refuse to turn to your relationship with Jesus that he might respond? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Or it just gets worse. Well, when we begin to understand that it is God and our relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, that brings about some of the responses that we need the most in our lives, the door to heaven gets opened. We've knocked persistently on it, and now it's opened. And we get the privilege of seeing the responses that we need the most flow from there. And those are always relational. Because prayer doesn't work, God does. He takes us deeper in our relationship with Him. In 1983, a professor from Loyola University did an interview for U.S. News and World Report. The interview was titled, Why a Good Friend is Hard to Find. In the midst of that interview, the professor said this, There is a profound longing for friendship. A poignant searching for the kinds of things that only close and lasting friendships give you. These things require someone that cares about the smallest parts of your life. What people are looking for in life is someone to whom they can tell the story of their lives. That's why there are ham radio operators. Why do they send out those signals into the night? 
Their reward is being able to say, somebody in Anchorage heard me last night. We are all looking for someone who will pick up our signal and listen. Now, let's spiritualize that. We're all looking for somebody that will pick up our signal and listen. Through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have that. We have that good friend that's paying attention, that hears our needs, knows us intimately, knows exactly what we need and responds. Prayer allows us to experience that. Don't hold back. You pray. Because here's a truth that you can take to the bank. Whether it is lost axe heads or lost souls, God cares. And he wants to hear from you. Whatever it is that you're praying about, God wants to hear from you. As a friend, God wants to hear from you. As the God of the universe, God wants to hear from you. As the Savior of your souls, God wants to hear from you. As a Redeemer of the world, God wants to hear from you. And He wants to respond. That response may not always be what you want. Health and wealth preachers have distorted that so terribly. God loves you as a father loves his children. And He responds in kind. It's part of the beautiful aspects of the relationship. You tap into it. You knock so that you can ask and you can seek and know beyond the shadow of any doubt that the doors are open. Oh, if there needs to be tangible ways that you do that, like cupping your hands, you do it. If there need to be tangible ways, like asking other people to pray with you, you do it. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. You trust that. Jesus said that. You pray with other people. And then you look for God's responses. But whatever you do, whatever you do, Don't stop knocking. You keep knocking and see what God does because God responds. Why don't you stand and pray with us? Father in heaven, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for responding to our needs. The most important one is the need for salvation. Lord, in the midst of meeting that need, we we have this wonderful gift of knowing that you forgive us and you extend mercy and grace. Thank you for that. But then thank you, God, for caring about the details of our lives and responding to those. I know that there's a trap for us to believe that there's a magic potion in prayer, a a specific set of words that we need to offer. But Lord, what we really need is relationship with you. So thank you for making that possible. We love you because of it. And Lord, the time comes when we grow up so that we love you for so many other reasons. But right now, thank you for caring about us enough to meet our needs, our specific needs. It's in Jesus' name. And because of His love, amen.